Good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning, a privilege. Like pastor said, my name is Trevor, Trevor Hogue. If you think it's Hogg, I don't blame you. Uh, it's Hogue, but I get Hogg every single time. It's fine. Like I said, it's a joy to be with you this morning, a privilege to open God's Word. It's been a delight to meet some of you already this weekend, and for those who I haven't met, look forward to doing so after the service today, lunch throughout the day. At least if we can't have a long conversation just to get to know you and meet, meet you, to get to know your name, it'd be great. Our sermon text from this morning is in the, in the entire psalm, the entire psalm of Psalm 117. We were just reading in the longest psalm, Psalm 119. You flip back a couple psalms to the shortest psalm, Psalm 117. I'll read it for us this morning, and then I will pray over our time together. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, that is what we have come to do this morning, is to praise you. You are uniquely worthy of our praise. There is no other God that we pray to, that we praise. There's no other man, thing, other God we worship. You alone are uniquely worthy of our praise, and we have come to praise you this morning. We thank you for the word. We thank you for this time together. We pray that you would speak mightily by your Spirit, to open our eyes. Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are soft to receive your word. God, I pray against that be no distraction in our hearts, but God, you would give us clear hearts to listen and make application. God, we thank you that every single word of these verses in the shortest psalm is divinely inspired, inerrant, and has great application for us, even in these two verses. We pray, I pray that I, by your grace, would explain it rightly, as I ought to, to divide it truthfully, as you've called me to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 117, the shortest psalm, but even from the shortest psalm, the shortest chapter in all of the Bible, there are eternal lessons for us to learn. If a word or phrase gets repeated often enough, I promise you it's worth listening to. If a word or phrase gets repeated often enough times, it's worth repeating to, worth paying attention to, I should say. Maybe these repeated messages you hear when we were when we were flying in at the airport over the intercom, all this, all these posters, the same messages are repeated over and over and over again. Maybe you're following a recipe, and in that recipe, it reminds you of a certain step. Don't forget this thing. 
Whatever you do, don't forget to do this. If you forget to do that thing in the recipe, you shouldn't be surprised when you go to take a bite and you say, this doesn't taste quite right. Because that thing was there, it was, it was important. It was repeated for a purpose. As we read our Bibles, as you read God's Word, as you see words or phrases that are repeated, those authors aren't just throwing in these words repeatedly for no reason. They're repeated for a purpose. They want to show you something. And so whenever you see a word or phrase repeated often enough, it's worth paying attention to. If you're a parent or a child, you certainly know this to be true. I can think of myself as a child when my parents would tell me several times, don't forget to do this. Do this thing. They'd repeat it again and again and again. I can, think of a, I, think in, I can think of a time that my parents were going to go away for a couple days. And they reminded me over and over again to take out the trash. Take out the trash. Make sure whatever you do, do this thing. Don't forget this because the house will start smelling. It'll be disgusting. And I said, sure, yeah, whatever. I'll, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm too busy playing my video game. I'm too busy watching TV. Well, they go away. And I forget to pay attention to what they've said. And I forget to take out the trash. And the house gets really smelly over those couple days. It starts to really stink. And I'm like, this is, this is a problem. This is like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. What's the problem here? My parents get home and I say, Mom and Dad, there has been a terrible smell in the house the past couple days. There might be rats around. There's something in the walls. And they, say, and they notice the kitchen trash is still full. I have piled it up with trash. And they said, didn't you hear me repeat this so many times? I said, this, I said this to you over and over again. And I said, why? I didn't think it was really a big deal. It's a big deal. So when words or phrases are repeated often enough, we don't do well to just ignore it. You're going to have a bad time if you ignore it and move on. When we hear these things repeated, we do well to heed those commands very, very closely, to pay deep attention to these things. And if I had to say there's one theme, one word or phrase repeated over and over again throughout the Psalms, it's this, this one word, praise, praise. Throughout the Psalms, if you've read the Psalms this week, if you, in, in your time with the Lord, doubtless you have read a command to praise the Lord, or it was talking about praising the Lord. Throughout the Psalms, the theme of praise comes up over and over again. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. Time and time again, we're commanded to praise the Lord. I made mention, I made note of all of the Psalms that mention praising God. Psalm 18, Psalm 22, Psalm 35, 48, 56, 63, 69, 74, 84, 96, 102, 104, 105, 106, 107, 109, 111, 112, 113, 115, 
116, our passage today, 117, 119, 135, 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150. Each one of those psalms, at least one time, a lot of the time, it's a lot of the time, it repeats it several times, praise the Lord. Now, the psalmists, they don't mention this for no reason. They're not just saying, saying this just because they feel like it. No, it is vitally important to all of us in this room that this is the posture of our lives, is to be continually praising the Lord. Our entire lives, everything you do in your life is about praising the Lord. So when we read in our psalm this morning, two different, two different times within two verses, praise the Lord we need to pay attention. But why? Why is it so important? Why is it so important that we praise the Lord? Well, your eternal destiny and my eternal fate come down to this. Whether or not you worship the one true God rightly. Your eternal destiny, spending eternity in heaven with God or in hell in separation from Him, comes down to, do you praise the Lord? Do you worship Him rightly? Do you worship the one true God rightly? It's great to know a lot about God. It's great to know a lot of things, articulate a lot of doctrine. But to know God, to praise Him, to worship Him, to submit your life to the worship of Him, not to the worship of self, but the worship of God, it's of vital importance to each one of us in, in this room. I may not know many of you, but I know this to be true just as it's true of me. I have vital need to rightly understand what it means to praise God. We need to do it rightly. We need to praise God and do it rightly. But how do we know how to praise God? How do we know what it means to praise God? You think of all over the world today, in the various religions, or even those who don't claim to be religious. They, they want, they, these false religions want to, they worship God as they, as they seem to understand him. They, they will say, I'm worshiping God. I'm worshiping God. The fundamental difference there is they don't worship him rightly, as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. So it's vital for us to understand how do we worship God rightly. So today's sermon text, Psalm 117, will answer a couple different questions for us that help us understand how to praise God rightly, how to understand these categories of praise. Number one, who must praise God? Who must praise God? And why should we praise God? Who must praise God and why should we praise God? And if I had to give you my sermon in a, in a sentence, here's what I'd say. Everyone, everywhere, must praise God because of his loving kindness and faithfulness towards his people. Everyone, everywhere, must praise God because of his loving kindness and faithfulness towards his people. So this morning, we'll see two categories concerning God's praise. If you're taking notes this morning, two categories 
concerning God's praise. The first category is, I've entitled a more of a fancy word, the scope of God's praise. The scope of God's praise. This is answering the question, who? Who must praise God? Who on the earth here must praise the one true God? We'll see that everywhere and everyone. The answer to what is the scope of God's praise? How high and how deep is it? Well, it's everywhere and it's everyone. We'll start with everywhere in Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. We'll stop you right there. Praise the Lord, all nations. Who is called upon to praise the Lord? All nations. This includes everywhere on earth. This word for praise is used 165 times in the Old Testament, as if it needs to be, we need to be reminded of it over and over again to praise the Lord. And if you notice, it's not a suggestion. It's not a, when things are going really well for you, when you, when you really feel God moving, praise the Lord. No, it's a command. Praise the Lord. It's in the imperative form. This is a command to praise the Lord. In every place on earth, wherever God is God, people are called to praise him, to worship him. This is every single place on earth, every corner of the earth, because our God is God, sovereign over every square inch of our world. He's our sovereign God, creator of all things over every single atom in the entire universe. And so our God deserves praise from every nation of the earth. Every country from the furthest west, furthest east and north to south and everywhere in between is called, commanded in this psalm to call upon the name of the Lord for their salvation. There is no other name by which people may be saved than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He's the only way to salvation. So the psalmist here says all nations must do this. There's no exemption. If you think about it, this command, this command, if you think about commands as we know them, commands always come with consequences. A command always comes with a consequence. I can think of it this way. They can be explicit, an explicit consequence. So when I was growing up, when I was eating dinner, my parents, I might want to leave the table early, but they would say, finish your dinner or you won't get any dessert. Finish your dinner or you won't be able to do that really fun thing you want to do. Finish, that, finish your, your dinner or you won't get to hang out with your friends afterwards. That, that's, that's an explicit consequence. I know that if I don't finish my dinner, what's going to happen to me? Well, I know I'm not going to get dessert. But the consequences for commands can also be implicit. If my mom or dad gave me a stern look and said, finish your dinner, I didn't need to know what the consequence was. I didn't need to know exactly what was going to happen to me. I knew that if I didn't finish my dinner, something great was not about to happen. 
uh, something I didn't like. They weren't just going to be like, finish your dinner, and if you don't, uh, we'll just give you 50 bucks. You know, no, I knew, I knew there were consequences attached even implicitly. And that's what's going on in, in verse 1 here. This command is coming with an implicit consequence. Praise the Lord is a command. What happens if, for those who don't praise the Lord? This is a poignant question for us. For those, all of us in this room, who know people, maybe in our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, who at this moment right now do not call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Those who do not praise the Lord. What happens to those who do not heed this command? To refuse to praise the Lord is to deny Him. It's to deny that He's not worthy of praise. It's to reject Him. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to be there on the other side of rejecting God, to denying Him. So this, is, this command to praise the Lord falls heavy when we put it down into our lives. When we think of ourselves and when we praise the Lord, we think of all those who we know that don't. It motivates me and I hope it motivates us all to des- earnestly desire the salvation of those who do not yet call upon the name of the Lord. People all over the world are called upon to praise the name of the Lord. From the very beginning, this has been God's plan for all nations to praise Him. God has made a covenant with His people, Israel, in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, God's plan from the very beginning was to fold in all nations, every people group, every tribe, tongue, and language that everyone, everywhere, would praise the name of God. So God is calling upon everyone in the world to worship Him. You think of nations all over the world who have have no access to the gospel. Those who are far from Him. I think this verse has incredible application, implication for us in missions. what's, What's our heart towards those people? those all over the world who have never heard the name of Jesus, who have never had the opportunity to praise the Lord. If you ever wonder, why do we bother supporting missionaries? Wouldn't that money be better used to go to something here in this church where we have needs right here, right now? Why are we sending supporting missionaries to go somewhere else where we'll never meet those people the the fruit will be hard in some places. We won't see people come to Christ very quickly. You ever wonder that? This verse tells us why that's so important. All these nations need to praise the Lord. They need to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And we've been given the gift for those who are in Christ. We've been given this glorious gospel and we share it to the ends of the earth. So everywhere, and it includes everyone, everywhere and everyone, the end of verse 1 says this, extol him, 
all peoples. Extol him. Praise enthusiastically is the word. Extol him. Praise him with all you got. There's a fervor, there's a passion, a love, and a joy that comes to praising God. It's not a praising God only out of a sense of duty. But it's a praise of God that says, I love the Lord. I delight in Him. I praise Him with all that I am. All the tribes of the earth are called to praise God. All peoples, all peoples, everywhere, everyone. This is a call out to everyone across the world in every people group, every kind of person. We all face the same sinful condition. Again, I don't know many of you in the room, and I, but I know myself. And I know this is true of you as it's, as it's true of me. You are a sinful person who has rebelled against God. I have rebelled against God. We all have the same sinful condition, the same need for Jesus. We all desperately need the saving work of Jesus. Everyone needs this. There is no person in the world for whom that is not true. You in this room, have a, you, you, each one of you, as I look at all of you, you have a desperate need for Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you have no hope. But praise be to God that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You've been reconciled to God through him. You have hope. You have joy in Jesus. A secure hope. But there are people in your life, maybe living right next door to you, who don't have that same hope. Every kind of person needs Jesus, every kind of person is called upon to extol him. That includes the person that you think is the furthest away from Christ. The person in your mind, as I even say this, that you think, I don't think that person would ever be a Christian. I don't think that that person would never come to Christ. they're, They're so far away. I don't see the possible way it could happen. That person is in need of the gospel. They need us to bring, to present the gospel to them. This is the scope of God's praise. Everywhere, everyone. He deserves praise from everyone and everywhere, all corners of the earth, all kinds of people. Do you feel this way? Do you see this to be true? of yourself. If you're not, if you're not, if you would say, I'm not a Christian in this room today, do you think, do you consider yourself as one of those people that I need to praise God or do do you, do you say to yourself, I don't really need him? Friend, I'm here to tell you today, there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. You are a sinner as, as I am. But I've been saved by grace, by Jesus Christ. And I want to, we, we praise him with all that we are. So we see the scope of God's praise. It's everywhere and it's everyone. But why? Why should we praise God? 
what, why is God so deserving of this praise? Really, everyone? Everywhere? Why? You think, think about why do, why do we have to sing songs? Why do we worship God as we do? This is the second category. I call it the stimulus for God's praise. The stimulus for God's praise. We can think of tons of different reasons for why we praise God. So infinite reasons why God is worthy of our praise. But this psalm gives us two in verse 2. For great is his steadfast love towards us. Great is his steadfast love towards us. So I'll say that there's, there's two different stimuli here. The first one I've entitled his prevailing love. His prevailing love. I'll explain why I use the word prevailing here in a minute. Great is his steadfast love towards us. Steadfast love here is this famous word used throughout the Bible for God's covenantal love with his people. It's used throughout the Old Testament, not just to convey emotion. It's not just emotion or feeling, but it involves involves action on behalf of another person. There's a deep loyalty attached to this word, steadfast love. It's one word in the Hebrew. There's a great loyalty wrapped up in this word, This verse is telling us that God is utterly loyal to his people. He is utterly faithful to his people in every way. And his love knows no end. His covenantal love is steadfast and firm. It is unshakable. For those who are in Christ, God's love for you is steadfast and firm forever. There is not, if you are in Christ, there is not a day when God loves you any less or any more. He is all loving all the time towards you in a steadfast way, in a covenantal way that says, God says, you are mine. You are mine. And I will keep those who are mine. And you and I, Well, you and I, our love towards him is often not that way. Our love towards him is often cold. We often disregard him. Even those of us who are saved, those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, we still have, we so regularly, daily have times for where our love for God is far from great. It's far from steadfast. We can be fickle. We're human. We're imperfect in our love. All of, our, all, of our, all, all of us sin against him. We deserve the opposite of kindness from God. We deserve his wrath in our sinful state, but his loving kindness is great towards us. God has been so kind to you, Even in the moments where you disregard him, you turn your back in sin, if you're in Christ, God is faithful to you. He's never left you, will never forsake you. God's loving kindness, who is it great towards? What does this verse tell us who it's for? It's towards us, towards his people, towards those who have been saved. And there's a fascinating word here, the beginning of verse 2, Great is his steadfast love. Great. 
This is an important word that we can just skim past if we just read it quickly. It doesn't just mean that God's loving kindness or his steadfast love is awesome. Though it is. I'd say it's awesome. It's not just that. But literally this word for great can be translated as prevails. It prevails. The The steadfast love of God towards us is prevailing. And that's where I get the, the, the section, his prevailing love. What does it mean that God's love prevails? Well, the word prevails, you can think of it as strong, it's powerful. But what does it mean that it prevails? Well, God's, I put it this way, God's steadfast love towards you is infinitely more powerful than your ability to reject it. God's steadfast love towards you is infinitely more powerful than your ability to reject it. In salvation, if you you are saved here this morning, in salvation, God's loving kindness prevailed over you. You and I were dead in our sin, dead in our sins. Had no hope of our own. Our eyes were blinded. Our hearts were darkened. We had no hope of our own. We stumbled around following the prince of the power of the air. We had no affinity towards God. We were dead with no hope of life in and of ourselves. But what happened? God prevailed over all that. He overcame all that. The Spirit moved in you to open your eyes to see Christ It was the work of God to raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life. He took all these forces of darkness that kept us enslaved to sin and with a snap of his fingers overcame all of it. He prevailed. He fought for you. He says, this person is mine. This child is mine. And I'm going to fight for him. And there's no match for the prevailing love of God. There's no force of darkness that is more powerful than the prevailing love of God for you. You did not save yourself. You did not pull it together on your own power. You had no ability to do it. You did not want to do it. But God saved you. But God loved you. God conquered every force of darkness to open your eyes to see Christ as beautiful. And in your everyday life, today, God's steadfast love prevails over you. You, by your own power, do not keep yourself in the faith. You don't keep yourself a Christian today. It's not your amount of time in the Word that's keeping you a Christian. It's not your amount of religious fervor that keeps you in in good standing with God. What is it? God is the one who keeps you in the faith today. God's love towards you is so powerful, so firm, that the Spirit helps you, keeps our eyes focused on Christ and our hearts glued towards eternity. It is God keeping you today. And we know that nothing is greater than his prevailing love. Nothing is greater than his steadfast love towards you 
So if you are in Christ today, if you have been saved, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, there is no fear for you as to, will I walk away from the Lord? Can I turn my, can I, can I reject him? Well, God, God is keeping you. God is holding you. He's keeping you steadfast in these moments. We have a responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have a responsibility and a, and a joy to learn God's word, to know him, to, to delight in him. But those things are not keeping us in the faith. God is the one holding on to us. And so I say this is a stimulus for praise. This is a stimulus for praise. I think of what Christ has done for me to save me from my sin, to rescue me from death and bring me into life. I don't know any other response but to say, praise God. I have hope today and forever because Christ came and died for my sins. God was so prevailing in his love towards me. And I hope that's true for you today, Christian, that you think on what Christ has done to save you. You say, praise God. You recognize just how miserable and hopeless your condition was without him. And then to see the finished, glorious work of Christ. Praise God. Praise God. A second stimulus for God's praise. The end of the second, the third, the second phrase in verse 2. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. God's faithfulness extends forever. His faithfulness to his people lasts forever. God is completely reliable. There is not a promise he has ever made that he will not keep. Everything that God has ever said, every promise he has ever made to you, is every promise you read of in his word, it will come to pass. He is faithful to those promises. He is faithful to you. We praise God because he has promised great things to his people. He has promised great things in eternity, in heaven, spent with him, delighting in him. Promises life abundantly and joy in the here and now. He has promised these great things to his people. And we don't have to wonder, will it happen? Will it really come to pass? No. Yes, he will fulfill every promise. Every word will come to pass. I think of it in our terms of our unfaithfulness. We often make promises. We keep promises, but we sometimes break promises. We make a promise that we just can't keep. We have good intentions in the moment, but maybe we break it. Reminds me of an episode from one of my favorite TV shows, The Office. Naturally, faithfulness and The Office just go together, I know. There is this episode. It's my least favorite episode of the entire show. When this, show, when this episode comes on, we like actively skip it 
because it's so painful. But I think, I think it's a helpful illustration of this. It's an episode called Scott's Tots. If you've never seen the show, it's okay. I'll explain it. So in Scranton, Pennsylvania, there's a paper company called Dunder Mifflin. And it is run by this very interesting man named Michael Scott. Michael Scott is a unique character. And in this episode, he is visiting a school, a school in a low-income community where the graduation rate is not very high. We find out that at the beginning of this episode that 10 years ago, Michael Scott had made a promise to all of the kids of the school. If you graduate from high school, I will pay all of your college tuition. I promise. I will pay for all of your college tuition for every single one of you. 10 years later, Michael Scott is the manager, manager of a mid-sized paper sales company in Pennsylvania. What do you think? He can't keep that promise. As someone who went to college, that's a lot of money. So Michael Scott goes to this school, and he has to be, the, the, the kids are so excited. They sing a song to him, because they, for the last decade, they have been so excited. Wow, this man said that if we graduate, our college is paid for. This man is like a savior. So they sing a song to him. They're so thankful. And he has to get up at the, at the, at the end of this song and tell them all, sorry, can't do it for you. I know, I, I know what I said, know what I promised you. It's just not going to happen. Can't work out, sorry. He offers to buy them, like, uh, is, is it laptop batteries, I think it is? He offers to buy them all laptop batteries instead. That's no substitute. You can imagine how devastating that is to the kids. But I use that illustration to point this out. That God does not make promises like Michael Scott. God does not make promises like you and I make promises. When we make promises, there is always an, uh, maybe an implicit assumption that, well, may, things might not work out. You know, I'm promising this in the moment, but if circumstances go a different way, I can't guarantee that it's going to work out. I'm going to try my best, but it may not happen. But when God makes a promise, he fulfills it. He's faithful to everything he says. He's faithful to his people. To himself, he's faithful. We know him to be this way. And this isn't just a future thing of like God's going to be faithful in the future. Like I know God's going to be faithful. But as you read the entirety of scriptures, see that God is faithful. Time and time again, God is faithful to all of his promises. When God in his word says he's, he, did, he will do something, it comes to pass. So how can we not praise a God who is faithful to us? who is firm by us, who we can trust implicitly. We praise him, we worship him for his kindness and his faithfulness to us. In the end of verse 2 here, it's as if the psalmist has been thinking and meditating on these two different stimuli for praise, and he responds appropriately. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I have a God whose steadfast love for me prevails I have a God who, love, who loves me, who fought for me, who's in covenant with me, who's faithful to me. Praise God. 
And I hope that's our response here this morning as well. Think on what Christ has done for you. Think on the faithfulness of God and his prevailing love over you. It's strong, but its strength will never run out. His prevailing love is never exhausted. It is eternal. He will love and keep us until the end. So we've seen two different stimuli for God. We've seen the scope of God's praise, the stimulus for God's praise. Everyone, everywhere is called to praise God because he's a faithful God. He's a loving God. And maybe I would give as one, perhaps one application quickly as you go forth this morning to meditate on the different ways that God is, has, is keeping you, is holding you, to meditate on the work of Christ, and to praise God, and to call those who are far from Him to praise Him. We close in prayer. God, we, we stand in awe of what you have done. God, we rebellious sinners. God, each of us recognizes that we were sinners, dead, with no hope. We were far from you. We were objects of wrath. But in your, in your, in your love for us, your steadfast covenantal love, You have saved us. You overcame our every opposition. You overcame every obstacle. You overcame every every power of darkness as as if it were nothing to save those who are yours. We thank you for that, God. We praise you for that. I'm going to pray you would help burden our hearts for those who do not at this moment praise your name. Give us a burden to see the people of the world come and praise the one true God rightly. I pray pray, pray for a holy discontent in our hearts that is grieved by this reality. It's thankful for the truth that we we have been given that we can, we can praise the Lord because our eyes have been opened, but a grieving over the, those millions of people across the world who do not praise your name. God, I pray that you would help us to see it, to not just go through our lives and be blind to it, but open our eyes to see it. As we drive by people on the way home, just think of people as those who need to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. But God, we know and we trust that those who are yours, those who are your people, you will save and you will overcome every obstacle, their every opposition to save them. But those who are far off, you delight in bringing those who are far off near for your glory. We pray that you would do that. pray you'd help us in that task to desire that, to desire the people around us to come and know you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.